0: it's Jess. Welcome back to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast where I discuss all things style, wellness, pop culture, and whatever else I feel like talking about from week to week. This is going to be a very brief intro because I got to virtually sit down, digitally sit down, zoomily sit down with one of my favorite content creators. They are brilliant. They are a writer an actor, a content creator. You know them from TikTok and Twitter. The most famous of the videos, I believe, is the Malcolm and Marie neighbor reaction. My first video seeing them create was about the crown. They have been a bright spot on some dark days for me. I have decided that they are my cousin as um, they are from South Carolina, and so is all my family. So I'm so honored that I got to chat with Ryan Ken about some of their favorite television shows and movies. I stole this concept from Brett Goldstein's podcast, On Want No Smoke. I just wanted to keep things light and fun and we still, because we're two um, chatty people who, I guess, like to talk about deep shit, um, we still got into some heavy topics, but I- I'm just I'm so happy for you guys to hear this. We recorded it the day before Thanksgiving, and I'm just so appreciative of Ryan for making time for me. And I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed recording it. This is me actively living out my dream to talk to people who I admire, who do dope shit, and learning about them and their perspectives, and I'm literally doing that, and that's hitting me right now, sorry. I hope you guys enjoy this. It is a longer episode, but it's worth it. I hope you're having a... Whenever you're listening to this, holidays or not, you could listen to this... A year from after when we created it I just hope you get something from it and that you enjoy it thank you for tapping in I am um, there's also a video of this on my YouTube I'm going to put a link in this podcast episode description if you want to see our faces as we chat about things and be sure to like subscribe rate review share Send me money. Send me your daddy's money. I don't really care as long as it's legal, and I can't be implicated. So okay, guys, enjoy. Bye. So let me shut up. What do you want my audience to know about you? I don't like to do the usual, like where you from, with da 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 da. You tell my audience what you want them to know about you before we get into the the questions and the things.
1: Sure. So I am, my name is Brian Ken. I am a Black, non-binary actor, writer, and performer. What I want people to know is that I'm employable, that you can book me, that I, I'm, <laughs> I'm available. Uh, that, that's one of the first things I want to say off top. But the other thing is, I am someone who's really interested in telling complicated, nuanced, messy stories about people and the kinds of people who really influenced and shaped my life. And what that often looks like is people who are not often at the center of those stories. So I'm interested in movies where queer people, disabled people, people of color, marginalized folks are getting to have the full space to have all of their humanity and not just represented in like an uncomplicated heroic way, but in a true human way. And that has been what acting and writing have been for me or ways to kind of better understand how we relate to each other. And I think the other thing I want people to know is that I am someone who is excited about collaborating with other folks and learning from learning from other folks. I don't want any story of my career or my interest to be framed as like the story of a singular genius or someone who's like so awesome on their own, everything that I have is a result of being in community with people who have given so much to me. And so I see everything that I'm doing online from social media as an invitation to get to do that work with other people. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have gotten to work with folks and to have access to folks who I have admired and and hope to continue to do that.
0: I'm I'm genuinely excited for like, everything that I know you're going to do and I mean that wholeheartedly because I hope you're not uncomfortable compliments like I am I'm working on that but your content for the five minutes when people were taking the pandemic seriously those five minutes after, <laughs> for five minutes we globally collectively all sat down and we made focaccia bread and shit and like You know, like we really did at the top, like really like buckle down and we were in the shit together. Your content was such a bright spot. And I just, it's so important to me that you know what that was and what that meant for like people like me, my family's in Atlanta. I have some friends here, of course, my family's in Atlanta. My mama was like, you sure you don't want to come home and just wait it out with us, no. There's not enough room in that house for me, sweetie. So I was, you know, (laughs) very isolated. And at first it was great. And then it started to be a little grim, you know, where it was like, bitch, I don't know how to feel my day, you know? And your first video that I remember seeing was the Nikkei's from the crown and <laughs> i sent that shit to everybody because the crown is this show that is such low stakes but they make you feel like what's about to happen and it's just about the most menial it's it's so it's so white it's so white <laughs> none of this matter. and then it's so interesting too because there's these major historical things happening around it It doesn't matter that World War II is about to, it's no, what we about to do about these neck is though. And (laughs) so you weren't even saying or doing a lot, but I understood everything about it. Like as, and that's what's so good about your videos, your content, you're not, it doesn't insist upon itself. It's not trying to be preachy. It just is. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't get it, you want to get it.
1: I can't tell you how much that means to me, um, it, especially t- today, but I, that video, what I appreciate about your, your talking about it is that that is the joke. And it's one of my most popular videos. And I think a lot of people don't understand that particular aspect of the joke because some of it is, it's also making fun of me in part because I watch this low stakes, rich white people adjusting to slight change drama. All, it is one of my favorite genres of film and television. I, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know why that is, but like, I get invested in, in that. And part of the joke was, I think, based on the fact that I'm watching it. So some of the beats really are the beats of the show. And so people who watched, who are big fans on the show, they were like, oh my gosh, this is like, we love the show so much. I was like, yeah, that's part of it. But the other joke is like, this show focuses on a fa- of the royal family at a time where the empire is coming undone. And where are their interests? all in royal procedures, all in internal family drama. They're just like encased in amber in this particular point in time in history. And that to me was always funny. And it was also funny to me that I could be so invested in like the napkins are folded the wrong direction.
0: (laughs) That's the thing, because it's like, as Black people, you being non-binary and queer, me being a woman, which is a whole shit show of things, as black people, we are always like, do y'all know that the world, that the sky is falling? And it's like, nobody else seems to be aware that the sky is falling. So we're always just kind of like, well, shit, like the Jay-Z gif, like, let me just pretend I don't see it. <laughs> you know, and so that's what it gave me. And like, I'm the same way, like, I love a period piece. Like, Downton Abbey, I'm like, bitch, no. You know what I mean? Why are <laughs> you so pulled in? I, I think it's the costuming for me, so, okay. First question, what is your favorite TV show? Comfort viewing, you can watch it in the background, you can zoom in on it. What TV show is that for you?
1: I So this is always a hard question for me because I feel like it changes depending on the day. But I think a TV show that is a favorite of mine that I do consume that way, where I can watch it passively or I can pay attention to it, is the HBO show Veep. Do you, do you love Veep too? I love, I, and one of the reasons why I love Veep is like, it is, I think for people, if you're not uh, accustomed to this kind of like dark humor and people who say the most foul things you've ever heard, it could be really off-putting. But for me, it, for me, I think that that show probably inspires me more than almost any other as I, as I understand what comedy is and comedy writing. Because what I like about it is it is absurd, it is ridiculous, but it has real, in the comedy, it has really insightful things to say about human behavior. And so even though it's comedic, it actually is almost prophetic in terms of the ways it talks about how politics happen. There's all of this detail and nuance. It's a show that I've been rewatching a lot during the pandemic and I'm realizing all of the attention to detail played to the small storylines and how things build and how you reveal these things about characters. But I think sort of as a comedic actor, one of the reasons why I love watching that show so much is it feels like a masterclass in doing that because they are never, none of the actors are, especially Julia Louis-Dreyfus are playing the joke. They are playing all of the circumstances as real as possible. And what's funny is kind of what I've heard people refer to as almost the cosmic joke of this person who can't get the thing that they want. So one of my favorite episodes of that show is the show where her mother dies. And it's incredibly dark. There's all of this stuff, but you get to see like, part of what I love is you get to see like the generational wound of her relationship to her mother. And as she's grieving it, she's replicating it with her daughter. Yes, and all of the intricacies of that, and it's really serious subject matter, but it's hilarious, and I feel like there's no thirty minutes that makes me laugh harder than that. And so that's one of my all-time favorite shows. For a similar reason, I'm a cheat and give I'm gonna give a one A. 1A. Okay. I'm gonna give a one and give a one A. Um, is Living Single oh, is yeah. another show that's like that for me, where I learn so much about comedic acting and how every character is, like they're really fully invested in the character's lives. It's one of those shows that's aged well, because we've had this whole nostalgia bit, and we go back and rewatch some of these shows and just kind of wince all the way through. But because they were interested meaningfully in these characters, it really holds up. And what I also love is that everybody is approaching their comedic style so differently, but they're open and so generative.
0: Yes. And I'm going to tell you, rewatching Living Single, when I was a kid, of course, the character I loved the most was Regine. Because that, yes. It's me. I'm very, yeah, you. you know, exactly. <laughs> As I've gotten older and dipped back in, where to me, watching that show, Feels like putting on a blanket of my childhood, of the bright spots of my childhood. It's a blanket, like a snuggie of nostalgia. As I've gotten older, what I realized is growing up in Atlanta, predominantly Black, I always had a good relationship to Blackness, but I did not understand the nuance of what it means to be a Black woman. So as I got older, Maxine is the person who I came to understand more. And then at different parts, I felt more connected to Khadijah. And then what what I love so much about Sinclair, I also realized I love physical comedy. I yes. don't. So my favorite episode of Deep is when she walks into that glass door. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> and the way that like, she is actually finally nice to, what what's Tony, what, what, what's that? Uh, Gary. <laughs> Gary, she's actually nice to him and he gets this respite of, of just wholehearted kindness. From her and the fact that he was so starved for for that, so but just her walking into that and this season on Curb Your Enthusiasm, <laughs> Larry David smacks into a window and just the connectivity of like Seinfeld, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and him, it was like my world exploded. I was like, oh my god, yes. Why did they do that again? But yeah, I. I love when we can go back and look at things that age well because the wincing is so accurate. Like, oh shit! Yeah. I'm literally rewatching the cartoon X Men, and I always loved Rogue just because of her voice. And she made like a weird Confederate joke, and I said, "No, wait a minute, bitch!" <laughs> you like
1: did I miss this? Was this in here the whole time? Did y'all I- add this in post?
0: I
2: don't remember it.
0: Wait a minute, you know? Yeah. So yeah, those um. Veep is, and apparently people say, people have said that scandal is how politicians, no, scandal is how regular citizens think politics work. House of Cards is how politicians think that politics works. But Veep is the real, the real deal. And I can see that.
1: Yeah, I've heard from, I've tweeted about my love of Veep before. And I've heard from people who work in politics that it is the most accurate. Political show there is. Like, I think West Wing was an aspirational show for what we thought politics were going to be. And so much of what's interesting about Veep is like there are storylines there that wound up happening. Yeah. And it says something, I think, even about the power of fiction, which is when you are really trying to imagine what motivates people who aspire to this much power and really have to sit with what that is. You may not get to the exact truth, but I think you probably get really, really close because it's about imagining that's the thing that's so interesting is that they're cartoonish and they're awful and it's you it, it, you find yourself kind of mystified at why you're so invested in what's happening to these awful people but it's because they are people and i just feel like watching those shows watching shows like the crown like we talked about if we can extend that level of humanity to wealthy privileged unlikable white people Imagine what we could do if we give that capacity of storytelling to people who we don't often have in the oh, center God. of that. Oh, yeah. And to be funny, because the other thing, too, that I like, I feel is the ways that Black folks, marginalized folks, queer folks, Jewish folks, the way that we, what we do with humor is just also unparalleled. To be able to laugh, even in the darkest of things, and that has been a survival thing to me. So even in terms of how I understand comedy, I never really understood comedy or humor as being a separate, intentional form of communication. It's just how my family talked to each other. Same. And and so part of what I'm interested in is also that comedy, which makes me like belly laugh, getting to do that and recreate it in film yeah. and television is what I really wanted. And on stage.
0: See, and I find that so intimidating. Um, friends of mine have been like, Jess, you need to try, you need to try writing for TV, and I can't, I I can't do that, I can't tell somebody, I can't tell you why something's fun. I can't do that, so that's something I'm toying around with, but I think that's what's so brilliant about comedy, and Brett Goldstein, who again I'm obsessed with and would love for him to call me, I would like to have brunch and just see where the day goes, but he said, you know, he was watching, and I think that he was talking about Precious. He didn't say what film he was, he was talking about, but he was saying he was watching this just like gut-wrenching like drama. And he's like, the fact that there was no humor in it was like these people wrote this from a completely voyeuristic standpoint because people who are mm-hmm. actually in trauma, there is some funny shit in it. Even if you don't know it immediately, even if it's ancillary, funny shit be happening at like my grandfather's yeah. funeral.
1: It's always funerals. I don't even get to cry
0: about it because I have this aunt who is just so extra. I'm like, where it's like, brace yourselves. Okay. (laughs) So She wasn't on the program. She wasn't asked to say nothing, but she sure got up there and was just babbling on. And on, and we just got to pray about it. And we just gonna pray about it. And we just gonna pray about it. And then she fell down the steps. And my cousin, through red face and tears, was like, mm, I guess we ought to pray about that. <laughs> And I just was like, "Are you, sad? you know what I mean?" Yeah. So yeah, they're they're not separate things. And what that's one of the things that I find so annoying about, like the Academy Awards, where it's like, why don't you guys put more into the art form of humor? Every now and again, a funny movie will, you know. But it's like, there's it's hard to make people laugh.
1: Yeah, and and I think part of what I've learned and appreciated even around comedy is. I have, this is a, the newest iteration of my like professional self is now this, th- the, I was taking classes, this was a hobby and now it's becoming work. But one of the things that I have found is I, I was classically trained violinist. I've done visual art. I've done some journalistic writing. I've done essay writing. I've done a lot of trying to communicate ideas and a multiplicity of forms. And I have found that you can get away with saying so much when people are laughing. Yeah, there's so much that you can like really kind of pill and peanut butter with people because part of what makes someone laugh is that they're responding involuntarily to something they recognize as being true but they have they laugh first and then they have to think about why they laugh why was it funny and so when people are thoughtfully using because there's easy ways to make people laugh like there's really easy tricks to make people laugh but when you're really thinking about humor and the humor, your construction, that's why you can say so much. That's why a show like V, you can you can rewatch it. Like when I do the rewatch and sometimes I just follow one character to see what that one character's journey was throughout and how much detail and careful thought was put into something. And it really inspires me to put that level of thought and attention to detail and to what I'm doing as well. In part, because I think it just breathes even more life into it.
0: I love that you said that Community once did that with an episode where a bed in the background is having- the yes, my friend was just telling me about that episode. And I rewatched it and I was like, oh, if I hadn't have randomly read that, that article on Buzzfeed when I was supposed to be doing work, I would have never, never realized that this was that, he was having a full adventure. Okay, next question. Do you have a comfort movie in that same vein that like whenever it's on, you can watch it and like it's just, yeah, this is what I'm doing for the next like hour and a half too. I
1: so I struggle with comfort movies because one of my favorite things to do is to sit in front of a television screen and emotionally devastate myself. Oh, I you love <laughs>
0: net, <on that>, baby. <laughs> I,
1: I love to sit in front of a screen and to like see like emotional, but there's a movie that I was one of my all time favorite movies that I can watch all the time, in part because it's another one where the form of the storytelling is so interesting, is the movie Arrival with Amy Adams. So it's an alien movie, but it centers around a linguist. And it's a question that mm -hmm, it's a question that I think we just we don't really see in alien movies in part because we've imagined aliens are just gonna be us. They're like aliens are us um, who are gonna do colonialism except this time to white people. Like that's what a lot of <laughs> alien movies are. And this one centers around how we would establish communication with these beings. So it's actually kind of follows the, like the mundane rote repetition of this linguist trying to talk to these beings, but it's a meditation on like our concept of time, our concept of who we are as human beings, a mother's love for her daughter. And the story is told in a way where you don't realize until the very end that what you think you've seen is not what you've actually seen. And that to me is so satisfying that that's one of my all-time favorite movies. And I'm gonna cheat again and give you another one. My other movie that I enjoy that, um, where I can watch it anytime and just really, really be moved by every time as though I've never seen it is Moonlight. Moonlight is one of my all time, uh, my friend got me a copy of the script for like a birthday. It is a movie that really transformed what I thought would be possible for black storytelling and queer storytelling. And just the the quietness, the stillness, the gentleness, the reflection, the scene where little chiron asked at the dinner table like what the f-slur is and the grace and gentleness and love that juan and um her yeah. my husband in my head
0: saying we all
1: have to fight uh, <laughs> uh, and and janelle monate the, the the gentleness and love that they show i had never seen anything like that on screen let me tell
0: you that movie for me, I can never watch again
2: because mm. of that.
0: it like, I felt like that movie reached inside of me. Like I talk about like receiving something you did not know you were missing. The scene that does it for me that I can't even, if I talk about it, I'm going to get choked up. Please bear with me. Cause I, and I okay. don't know why it affects me to this extent. I'm talking about when I see, when I see gifs of it, gifs, I don't know which one we're supposed to say when it, it just moves me to literal tears. It's the scene at the table, because what I love that he says to him, you ain't got to know right now. I tell myself that all the time because I always mm-hmm. think I need to have the answer to everything immediately. That gentleness. But it's the scene that destroys me is the swimming in the ocean. Oh, yeah. The way oh god i'm sorry oh i'm
2: getting getting a little too
0: because think about the last time that you saw a a black man who looks like that who has that kind of background that character he's a drug dealer and for me growing up drug dealers were not mean scary terrible people they were a part of, of of your bigger community you knew that they did a bad thing but they were also a bigger part of the tribe they were a part of your tribe they were a part of, of your village to be honest and that's that's a conflict that as i've gotten older that i've grappled with having family members and and, and knowing people and having lost people in in that 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 character who you think of as just like hyper masculine, hyper in the worst way. The gentleness and the love that he showed when he was teaching that little boy how to swim in that ocean. Yes, I I cannot watch it again. It, it it's making me cry right now. Me through some shit. I tell my friends all the time, like, oh, da-da-da. you ain't got to know right now. It, Mm -hmm. God, and the way that it was shot, but I can't find, again, we're opposites. I can't find comfort in that because it just, God, and I saw Mm -hmm. it in the theater at BAM, and I was almost mad that it was white people in the audience, because I'm like, I don't feel like this is for you. This is for us. I, I, that's,
1: that's, I did that too in the movie, in that scene. I almost turned around in the theater behind me, like, do you all know what you're seeing right now? That's do it, you have any idea?
0: Yeah, like, do you understand the magnitude of what this is? Like, I can never watch that movie again. I, oh my God.
1: I, for me, so much of, I think, and the character of Juan in particular, is I have a brother who's incarcerated. I have, I have family and friends who've been dealing with, and there are ways that we see people who are navigating the options that they have been dealt as bad because they have been given the options that they have been given. And we know when we live with people that they are far more complicated than the decisions that they are relegated to have to make. And what is so moving to me, I might cry because I'm having a day in this movie. This movie really does mean that much to me around the fact that like the character of Juan, you can imagine has such a deep connection to Chiron and sees early on that even though he himself might not be queer, recognizes that the forces that are working against him were the same forces that were working against him. And in spite of like this life that he's had, this dangerous, this hard life that he has held on apart to a part of his humanity so deeply that when he sees this little boy who reminds him of himself, he can still extend gentleness and softness to this. Oh my that God. movie, oh my God, that, sorry, I don't mean no, to
0: cry. But that, I'm telling you, literal, and I'm a person who, like I am a crier, like Candace from Housewives of Potomac, that used to be me before therapy. I am a crier and I saw that movie like early on in therapy, or I don't know if I had started therapy by that point, but when I tell you I was boo hoo cooing in that theater and I didn't know why. I didn't know like, why is this moving me like this? Like did they put a subliminal message in it? But it's what you're saying because I wish that we had more of that in real life. I wish that people could See themselves in other people in a in a more profound way. How you how you don't see? It. And for me, being somebody who just is like a bleeding heart, I I, I look at people sometimes. And I'm like, how you don't see it? How you don't see you in this? How you don't see it? You know? Yeah. And I especially feel that frustration. At, you know, the, the 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 tragedy of my life is that I, I that I like men, and <laughs> you know, and as a Black woman who wants to, you know, have partnership with a Black man and this constant conversation that we're having where it's like, we see your humanity so much and you don't see us as human. Why don't you allow Black women to be human? Why don't you allow us the space to be flawed? Why don't you allow us the space to to be sexual, to be, why do we have to be in such a small box to earn, deserve, quote unquote, be worthy of? You really, seeing us and and we can so easily see it in you why 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 can't you give that back and so you you just made like such a profound thing that's what that thing is it's that part of it that i want to see just like magnified exponentially in our community okay we got to get to something light okay <laughs> okay what's the funniest thing you've ever seen like laugh out loud like you have to pause the tv to like over your laughter
1: Honestly, not to be repetitive, but I think some of it is, I think some of it is episodes of V. Yeah. And I think for me, this, there's the scene where she is getting the story from her uncle about who her um, Selena, the character Selena played by Julie yeah. she's getting the story of who her father actually was and that her father had like all the affairs that her that she basically married her father and that her mother wasn't the villain but that was how she interpreted it through her uh, young eyes and that the person who would even bought her all the snow globes on the trip was like her mom like the dad's mistress and so like all of that becomes unraveled and then she and mike get drunk and they go to like the shed and they just smash everything And as they're smashing, they're like venting. And in the middle of it, she picks up this pencil holder. She goes, no, no, not this. I made this for my daddy at camp. And it's one of the funniest scenes because like, it's so funny, not because any of the like circumstances or what's on paper is funny, but because it's so profoundly human and so like vulnerable. And not, but it's the funniest, like, this is just not the appropriate means to express this. This is not the appropriate place. And I think one of the other scenes that has to be laughing like that is when Selena winds up giving the eulogy for her mother and finds out before she does it that, like, she's not going to win the election. And so she gets up and starts Reading the eulogy and gets emotional, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, she's so moved by this relationship she had with her mother," and it's that she's not gonna win. Yeah, and, and that juxtaposition of that and just that to me is unendingly just hilarious to me. And I those those are some of the scenes that like I watch them time and time again, and I'm howling like I've never seen, <laughs> seen it before.
0: Okay, so I love that you can even pick out. The parts of Veep that do that, because I'm just the whole time in just like utter disbelief at like, this is ridiculous and this is great. I I have not rewatched Veep as much as I've rewatched some other things. Like I can do trivia on The Office. I can do trivia on mm-hmm. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec, the flu episode, again, physical comedy doesn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then... The office, this is so stupid. It's such a random scene. But the office, the cold open with the fire and Stanley has, <laughs> why does Michael say to him, the president is Black, Stanley? <laughs> <laughs> what did that have to do with anything? And then, okay, the other Parks and Rec episode where the snake juice, where everybody- snake juice is one of my favorite. Oh, my God, Ron just dancing in that camera.
2: <laughs>
1: and Amy Poehler going like, she didn't even do it one time. She didn't say it one time. She didn't say it once. It's like
2: one of my
0: favorite. And Rashida just like, I'm not going to. That bitch. And the other lady's like, what did I do? Like, it's just that, the physicality. I don't know that I could pretend to be drunk. So when people can pretend to be drunk, it sends me. And so yeah. I'm just like, get get out. Like, get out. I-
1: I'll give you a tip on pretending to be drunk. I learned this from an acting teacher. That's a really good trick. And even um, Catherine O'Hara says it too about playing drunk on Schitt's Creek is drunk people are often trying not to appear drunk. So if you want to play drunk convincingly, you have to play the trying not to be. And that is what makes it look like someone is doing it. But even in terms of that, show and um, Parks and Rec, and even um, The Office. The Office is like, for a while, that was my depression show. If I was ever like in a dark space, that is the show that I'll watch a million times and get the little two molecules of serotonin that I need to last me through to, I'm at a better time, is similar to Veep, is the character of Michael Scott is a tragic character. He is a really sad, profoundly lonely man and I think the reason why you can watch him do all of these horrible, honestly, the, the shows in theory, should, if they had a functional HR, it should have been only one episode of The Office. The, yes. the Office is actually the portrait of a, of a huge failure of an HR department. But the reason why you can watch this man do all of these things is because at the core of him, he's so lonely and doesn't know who he is and wants to feel validated. And it's always been interesting to me that that seems to be where so much good comedy lives. And it's reflective of some of the experiences that I've even had, which is like, the videos I've made online, especially during the start of the pandemic, those were were sometimes the only space during the day where I felt like I had agency and dominion over my own body. Mm -hmm. And I could speak the truth and say what I wanted to say And so I'd make a video and then I'd go back around my work obligations, the other things I had to do. But it was really so much about conjuring for me in that space, joy for myself. And to see, it has surprised me how much humor has come from making these videos and making this art because sometimes the video and then the engagement people would have with the video would turn my day around. And so I was a lot of times, making those videos on really hard days for me. And I needed it. And so that comedy where the truth of like what is really happening to people and how like that you can watch a story about loneliness, about profound loneliness and laugh all the way through, but also learn how you are not, how you can be less alone too. that 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 is what I love about doing comedy. That is what is so interesting to me and that is what informs me about like the humor I'm really drawn to. Like even in I'm thinking about something like Living Single, they really are friends. Mm. And so even in what's so beautiful is like in the scenes where they have conflict, you can still see where their love for each other is. And that is so much what like our conflict in life looks like. And we get a moment to step away from it because we're watching somebody else recreate it, but also we're getting to laugh through it. And I think we get, I think any opportunity we get to have to see how two people can miss each other, even while loving each other, is helpful for the ways that like it shows up for us in our own life. That you see all of Regine's side of where she's coming from, you see all of Max's side from where she's coming from, and you see where the conflict is, and you see that both have equal claim or experience or rationale for why they are, why they are. And it's funny and you're distracted by how funny it is, but you're actually watching people who care about each other, find their way to demonstrate that care in a way that the other person can receive it.
0: 100%. And I, that, <clears throat> that's, I feel that to me is like alchemy. I think mm-hmm. that, that I mean, I, I, I genuinely feel like that is what life is. I think that is what we are here to do that. Like, you know, people often, I think my relationship with, with Christianity has changed a lot. And I'm always happy when I can come across like a Christian pastor who gets it where I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, thank God. Cause I, I, I was beginning to think I was going to have to just be like, I'm one of those people who's like spiritual, but not religious. was like, what does that mean? Isn't there some, crossover? Yeah. then that then diagram kind of, okay. But I, when people who are like atheists or agnostic or whatever, well, if God was real, why would he, why wouldn't he fix these things? And I'm like, I can't answer that question. But what I can see is that we are all, I think born in our own individual, like mental spiritual universe. And one of the really cool things about that, that being like my belief is that you get to see when people let each other into their individual universe. And and then that becomes one. And then somebody else is pulled in and that's and it grows out from there that's what i think comedy are all of these things that's where you see that humanity and that's where you recognize that oh i'm not as alone as i thought that i was i think that right. that's a part of the point of humanity is for us to all be so different in the way that we were born into the world in these at these different intersections with different privileges and non-privileges. And of course, horrific things have happened 100%, not denying that. But when you can see that, yeah, super different, but also at the core, there's some human shit there. And when you can like pierce that, when you can pierce, that's what I love about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is so obnoxiously positive, but that he was able to get in with those really hard exterior people, it's like, oh, I wish we could see more of that. It really, that's why that show feels so warm because you're just like, okay, dial it down, dial it down. Please God. But then he gets through, but then you see you have an awareness that there's something wrong that comes from such a dark place, and I was so happy when we got again yeah. yet a black female therapist, yet another black female therapist. i do not where <laughs> and we've about
1: talked about me. that.
0: We talked about that, and I have pitched that story to so many outlets to no avail. But anyway, um, where it's like, oh, that's where it comes from, and I just wish that that was replicated so much more in real life. Is that thing of like. Yeah, different, approaching things from different perspectives, but there is a human core here. And yeah.
1: I agree. And I think for me, I'm also someone who has like a complicated relationship, religion, particularly Christianity. Um, I grew up very religious and church,ed And so if you see me online or hear me in real life, I sound like a praying grandmother live like a heathen. Like that's a little bit of, that's a little bit of my testimony. See, there it is right there. But part of what I have often felt is with acting. I have felt in acting classes, in acting spaces, what I think I was supposed to feel in church. That
0: hope, feels, that lightness, that yeah, that
1: but that, and I think that connected, that connectedness to other people,
2: mm. because
1: I think too, like, I think why just. God allows suffering is one question. Why do we allow suffering is another. Mm. And I think what has been really, what has been really helpful has been this experience of using my body to tell a story that is not my own. And that connectedness I feel to other people. And, and when I say it feels like church, and it feels religious to me, not quite religious, but it feels like almost like a spiritual experience, is it is a good practice for putting yourself aside to hear somebody else's story. To stop saying, I could never do that. I would never do that. I would never make those choices. You've gotten the script, and the script says you did it. You got to figure out how you got there. And so much of what has allowed me to feel closer to people, to feel less judgmental of people, has been using my body to do that so much so that I am deepening the relationship that I have with my brother in adulthood. And so much of the way that that has had to happen has from having to hear his story in a way that goes up against my perception of what I thought the story was or what I thought our experience was. And so to have already had practice in my body doing that the humility of using your body to tell somebody else's story, of imagining how somebody else could make different choices. That allowed, I think, a possibility for like connection that I just don't think would have been there. And, and there have been moments in class, even moments in these videos, where when you're really in it and your ego is not at the forefront, that there's something greater than you which could just be somebody else's story. There's something more purposeful and more useful than even your own insecurity, your own self-judgment, your own self-doubt, that it matters more to tell this story correctly or as truthfully and as honestly as you can. That is what I, that is what I imagined that for people for whom they get that from church, that's what I have often imagined that to be, is that level of connectedness and that feeling of like, I am not alone. I am so not alone that even in my own body, there is space to hold love and the experiences of other people. I absolutely
0: but I- love that. <clears throat> and I'm, I, I love that you found that. And you have um, spoken before about like even your relationship to your body, com- you know, changing. Um, I'm in the middle of that right now where I was like, oh, I didn't realize how much I tied my identity to being very curvy and now medical medically necessary, I lost a little over 50 pounds. And people were like, oh, you're so skinny. And I was like, I don't like that. Don't call me that. I, I don't like that word. I don't like what it signifies. I don't, I don't like nothing about that. Like I'm still very much a thick beach, like hold on. <laughs> you know? And so I genuinely have a new body because I got like a breast reduction a few years ago. And like my boobs, I've been this small since I was in eighth grade. So I literally have a different body and learning that my identity is to, I'm still who I am, no matter what the body looks like. And so I, I'm happy that the pandemic gave me time to sit with that and to figure that out and to, to understand like, oh, why was I tying the? So I think our body, especially when it feels like our bodies are weaponized all the time, it's, it's like fantastically important for us to have a a connectiveness and a a relationship to our body that is positive. And it's hard to get to. It's very hard to get to because the number of people who send me DMs like, please tell me what you did. What's your meal plan? I'll do anything. And I'm like, if I were a dishonest person, I could tell you all kind of snake oils and all kind of do keto this and all kind of do this and that. And it's like, we got different bodies and your relationship with your body going to be different. And so I, I'm not, I, even when I was at my heaviest, I wasn't willing to do anything, just anything to be smaller. No, you know, and it's like, just go to your doctor. I went to my doctor. We did blood work. I'm insulin resistant. I got on drugs. Shouts yeah. out to big pharma. You know <laughs> what I mean? I got on drugs. That's what I did. And if you don't have that diagnosis, it don't matter. Oh, well, what did you take? It doesn't matter. Are you going to go get an illegal prescription? It doesn't matter. I want us to have a better relationship with our bodies. And it's so hard to do.
1: Yeah. And I think that that is part of what motivates me to, I, I know a lot, of the, a lot of the media that people have consumed that I've created is me. It's me in front of a camera by myself. And I think that that is like phase one of something that I'm interested in doing. But I think more than that, I'm really interested in telling stories from people who have different bodies than the ones that we are regularly put in front of us because so many of us live in a world where we are taught to devalue our own bodies and that we will be willing to do any and everything to change them to and so what acting has been for me too and creating on this stage has been for me too has been an exercise in trying out what it might feel like to Believe my body is worthy, even if I can only do it for 59 seconds, making a joke that my body is of use, is of service to me, of of my expression, and it is worthy because it exists. And so much of, so much of like the media landscape and even some of the decisions I'm up against now is like, you know, there's more Hollywood stuff coming is the inability to see all bodies as worthy. And what I have enjoyed about getting to make these videos is I don't have to ask for permission. I know that people don't see a Black, fat, dark-skinned, non-binary body as neutral. And so they project onto it a million things. And so I think so, there's something powerful in being a, ch- a chameleon and, and, actually say, like, and actually saying that like, this body where you might have projections or ideas about, is incredibly expressive, is incredibly, and is maybe not quite what you think. Yeah. And that is something that I've carved out in a space for me in my own life. I want to do that for other people too. I want, I want other people's humanity to be at this. St- and I don't think it's like a big favor or charity that Hollywood is doing by greenlighting those stories. That's what the fucking world looks like. <laughs> like, like that's just, it is what it is. And also, these people have buying power, and also, these people are hungry for stories. And I think sometimes, I'm gonna be a little, maybe a taste more controversial. I'll try to be southern about it and delicate. You
0: can, this is a safe space. You say whatever you (laughs) want. I
1: think sometimes, in the hunger, the profound hunger and desire for just more
2: stories, that sometimes, (laughs) there can be people who flourish in that space
1: who are more interested in satiating that desire with something than with good food. Yeah. And so I wanna make work for marginalized people that isn't necessarily like simplistic or didactic or preachy or telling you, this is what you should think about us, but I'm interested in doing portraits of human beings. and what we learn from doing that kind of portraiture. And so I want to do it with people I respect and admire. I want to do it carefully. And I want to do it with thought, deep thought and care about who is going to see it. What I love about the videos that I do is, yes, sometimes they tackle and make fun of like white supremacy or these other sorts of things, but they make Black people laugh. They make trans people laugh. They reflect back something to them that means something to them. And that's what I want to do. I'm just asking to have a budget to do it. <laughs> so. And let me tell you something.
0: I'm literally, oh my God. so funny you say that. I've been reading um, Alice Walker's In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. And so it's just like a collection of essays of her discovering um, the, the writing work of queer Black people people, Black women, people who were passing but didn't identify, different people whose stories were lost. And I've been stuck at her work of discovering Zora Neale Hurston, and who was not loved by the Black people in the Harlem Renaissance. You know, she loved where she came from. She came from a very rural, predominantly Black area that she had a lot of pride in, the the, the Northern Blacks did not, they wanted to separate themselves from that Southern identity. I think a lot of that still happens, but there's this conversation of like, you cannot be an artist who is poor. You can, you can do the starving artist thing if you want to, but the patronage that, that she had to, that she had to receive from, from white people who also tried to like say tell this story this way. And she was like, well, nah. You know, and that, yeah. And we're still dealing with that now. That yeah. if we take this money, how much truth do we still get to how what you're saying? How much do you still get to do that if you sign on with this thing? And the fact that we're still navigating that, even though there is that alleged, oh, we want different stories, but it's like, do you? Or do you want something that is approachable enough that you, that feels familiar enough? That's why we keep getting mm-hmm. remakes of basically Jane Austen novels. I watched Emma, the movie Emma, and I was like, bitch, is this where they got clueless from? And it's like, oh, yeah we've been remaking the same shit because people want that familiar thing first. They don't super want something different and you do have to navigate that as a creative who wants to to live well. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't create from a place of lack, baby.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, I, I'm one of those people who like, I am interested in systems that undo uh, poverty and harm and disenfranchisement for everyone. And I think that there are ways that for artists and creative people we have glorified this idea of struggle or that struggle and turmoil are necessary to make good work and i think that sometimes narratives like that are how we continue to perpetuate artists and creative people entering spaces where they're going to be abused and mistreated yes that their suffering is somehow like ordained in order for the process to happen yeah and I'm just, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really meaningfully interested in that. And I'm also, I think too, I'm not interested in being in rooms where I have to articulate my human value before we do work. Mm. That I have to explain to you that I'm a person. I have to explain to you all these other sorts of things. And I think a lot of what we're seeing from my limited, like, my limited experience being a person, no, this makes me a nice. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're, that you're approaching it from that perspective and yeah. that that's, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, and I think too, part of what, I think sometimes in terms of what my brief dip in my toe in this industry so far has revealed to me is that a lot of what people are interested in is making something that is a guaranteed financial investment. Yes, and so you, if you're going to make a black thing, it has to look like the black thing that just made this company millions of dollars, and so you have to. Then that becomes the language you then have to talk about all of your projects and other work with, and some sometimes where that a lot of where that is limited is Hollywood has not taken a risk on certain kinds of people in certain kinds of bodies, so there is no precedent for it being particularly rev like revenue generating or, but I think what that means is you, we shut the doors almost permanently on some groups of people. If the barrier for entry is like, this has to be a guaranteed revenue generating thing for us. And how many, how many like non-binary disabled people have we put on a big screen at the center of a story before? Well, we've never seen it. So it'll, we can never be certain it'll make money. So we'll never invest in that.
0: It's, I mean, and and, and
1: that's the progress.
0: yeah, the smaller scale, it's that thing that so many of us struggle with entering just the the, the non-creative workforce of like, you need to have a, a master's degree and be like fresh out of college, but we also want you to have three years of experience. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to get the experience if nobody will yes. hire me? It's that same thing where it's like, bitch, give, give a bitch a chance. Yes. Give a bitch I, a I, chance.
1: <laughs> that and that, I think, to me, has also been the most eye-opening thing around all of the stuff re- regarding Hollywood. Is that it is, in some ways, just like all of the other offices and workplace dynamics I've ever been in. Because the barrier for entry for marginalized people is that the way to get success as a marginalized fo- as marginalized people in this industry is to already be successful. Yes the barrier for entry and like Hollywood's not interested in taking a ton of risk, but if they are gonna take a risk, it's gonna be white and cis. Yeah. And so I think too, I think sort of like that, that sort of demystifying of it. And I think a lot of what I'm a, a lot of what I what is the, I think the process I'm in is coming from an arts background, realizing the ways that art and entertainment align and where they diverge.
0: Okay. they are
1: not the yes.
0: same because from a the fashion perspective, I was like, "Oh, okay, and I just had it in my mind that I was supposed to work in corporate fashion, and then I got in it and I was like,, oh, I don't belong in this room, <laughs> Oh God, and the extent to which like you see a designer create something from their brain and then it don't work in real life and you, you gotta kill your babies like it it's awful and since fashion became big business the art where's the art so that's why I think like couture still means so much because you got to have a certain amount of money to even purchase that anyway so they're gonna give you what they want when they want to and you just gonna have to take it or not and everybody has that understanding but like ready to wear and stuff like that it's like where's the art well they got to crank out all these different collections they don't get time off to even brainstorm new things to have that artist experience of like oh i traveled to this place and i got inspired no they're constantly on the clock yeah big business gets in everything and it's money 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 and it's like well this stuff can make money too but you got to give it a chance okay so last question okay wait first of all do you like horror the genre of horror
1: love it love it love it Uh, And I love it. And honestly, one of the things that I, during the pandemic, I found, I was listening to another podcast where, um, where they were, where the host was talking about a similar thing that they experienced in the pandemic, which was at the start of it, I was watching a ton of horror because I just needed something to scare me that wasn't reality.
2: Mm. And I
1: needed the fear to be predictable. And I needed to be from one place and be like, it's the ghost, it's the demon, It's the alien, it's the murderer. That's the thing to be scared of as opposed to like being scared to breathe the air, to touch uh, a gas pump, Uh, like it just felt so ubiquitous. But I have have always loved horror. It's one of my favorite genres.
0: Okay, I I can't, Um, (laughs) (laughs) can't. Um, What scared you more than, what is the scariest thing you've ever seen?
1: Film or television wise, I'm trying to
0: look. It could have been something on the street, hmm. but either film or television, either, either or the thing that okay, here's, here's your gauge. What made you turn on all lights in your apartment?
1: Okay, so this is another one I've gone on a tweet rant about, and I'm prepared at, at the drop of the hat to give a TED talk about this Lupita Nyongo's monologue as red in us. I saw that twice. No thrice in the theater and every time that I saw it the entire audience full of people was silent it was like not rustling not chewing nothing and I had never seen anything out like that outside of live theater because it was so visceral and convincing and I remember that that was the moment where like as someone who loves horror like I said I love horror I was loving the Jordan Peele stuff when she, when that character shows up and she gives that monologue, that was the moment I looked at my friends and was like, I'm not sure I can do this. I, I don't know that I'll be able to. And that, to me, was another like revelatory um, kind of like performance in terms of like what an actor could do. And I think that I think I will say till I'm blue in the face that I think that she gave two of the best performances ever caught on film in the history of cinema in that movie and when she was snubbed for things like i'm someone who's divested from awards i, I that's never been my goal post of course but when but she when she was snubbed for things that is what closed the book totally for me because i was like oh you can do that you can do screen work to tennis balls and green screens on the camera and do that level of work and be ignored okay that don't then that doesn't really mean anything <laughs>
0: Okay, God. God, I wanted to watch it and started to watch it so many times and was like, bitch, you live alone. Don't. (laughs) And so I still haven't. I might, you know what? I'm going to attempt when I go home and visit family for for Christmas. I'm going to attempt because I just felt like I won't sleep. I won't sleep. Like, I will be like, what the fuck is that? Like, and my apartment ain't even that big. But it's like, uh uh-uh. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but let me also say one thing I often say to people too, and it's something that I've made sense of, there's, we live in a culture of a ton of media and a ton of good media. We're actually kind of saturated with it oh, yeah. and we can feel the pressure to watch this. But one of the things I've learned is people consume their media for a whole host of reasons. Yes. And for some of my friends, my closest friend, one of my closest friends, Dana, the idea of sitting in front of a screen to scare yourself just makes it real sense to her. Like
2: she's I like... Hope- <laughs>
0: Yeah, like I'm just like, bitch. I be scared all the time from reality. Yeah, you know how many times I get street harassed. I get followed by dudes. Real life yeah. is scary. I don't need that in my house. What? Yeah, as a fan of Jordan Peele and a fan of Lupita, and like, I really, really, and any excuse to look at Winston Duke. Huh? I really mm-hmm. wanted to watch it, but I, yeah, I mm, no, I just I so, know myself. Some shit I just. I to this day don't drive behind log trucks because Final Destination fucked me up.
1: I think Final Destination traumatized a generation of people. Because a generation. Way that I will never drive behind them logs. You will never catch me. But what I will also, but what I'll say too is like, I think, however we choose to consume media for the reasons that we do, they're complicated. They're human. They're all these, but they're valid. And so. I also never want to make people feel like you have to participate in something if it doesn't make you comfortable, if it isn't joyful. And a lot of the ways it's been interesting to like my friends and people talk about like how I come to some of my, um, content is I am a person who watches things late. I tend not to watch a thing while it's hyped. Not because I'm like a hipster of like, I don't want to see that, but while, um, but it's this idea of wanting to encounter it on my own terms. So I'm the friend who years after the show has gone off the air, has developed a deep emotional attachment to like Breaking Bad and be like, oh my God, this story. And they're like, yeah, girl, we we saw it. We saw it. But okay, yeah. that also allows me to consume it on my own, own terms. And during the pandemic, there were some media that like, I felt pressure to consume that I couldn't, even including the news. Yeah. And so- all of our relationships to that media are fair and valid. So if it's going to stress
0: you out to of watch course. that program, you of don't course. have to do that. <laughs> you know how I love the word program. You know, I love program. <laughs> I love my programs on now. I love program. I, I am a like legit consumer of content. So for me, you're making such a good point. Like it's stuff that I watch just cause I'm excited to see it. And I don't like feel pressure. Like I still haven't seen squid games and I don't, I'll get to it when I get to it. Us, I think it's like the cultural impact of it, and I want it to be a part of that conversation. But yeah, I, I say I stay away from most horror because I'm not that bitch. I'm just not.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, I forgot. Mm-hmm. No, one other question. You don't have to answer as you are going into this industry. I don't want you to burn no bridges. Do you want to say the worst thing you've ever seen?
2: Um <clears throat> I'll tell you mine. Yes. Worst thing I've ever seen where I was like,
0: what the, f-? well, wait, what did it, huh? Lindsay Lohan, I know who killed me. I have thought so many times about going back and trying to rewatch it. It's not, bitch, maybe I miss some, um, Bitch, What? What was <laughs> it? It was literally, we were all in the th- Cause I was like a Lindsay Lohan fan, girl of my generation, Love Lindsay mm-hmm. Lohan. When she was like, she wasn't like real thin like the other white girls of the era. And I've always liked red hair, hence I, you know, appropriated that. Um, and she, you know, and I loved her. Counted. Yes oh my God, like, excuse me, her song, Still a Bop. I'll listen to it every mm-hmm. now and then, okay? That and Stars Are Blind, fight me, bitch. So yeah. I went to that and we were all in the theater, like what, what was, well, I don't get it. One of the worst things I've ever seen.
2: For me, it's like some,
1: even some bad movies, I uh, will still like and enjoy. And a lot of what's been interesting now, having had the experience of getting to film a few things, of like even kind of understanding why something is bad and like how many different pieces and parts of it. But I rather than name one movie, because there is one movie on the top of my head, but it's also a genre of movie, which is I despise and I think they're awful and I understand why they happen and they emerge culturally at certain times are these white savior movies.
2: Oh, God, yeah.
1: Those are the movies that I despise the absolute most and like enrage me because I also think they meaningfully shape the ways that Black people are seen in actual life. And yeah. so, even in terms of the ways we talk about social movements, so someone will be br- a Black person will be brutally murdered by the police, and we will talk about that person as though they were a learning moment for white people. That everything
0: they- Everything that lens, their, everything curves back to the, yeah. And that they are, that and
1: the way, because fiction and those media, those media images shape how we see things in real life, a lot of the ways that we talk about black folks is that they are sidekicks in their own story.
2: Yeah. That yeah. they are
1: not at the center of their own story. And so what often enrages me is not that the movies are bad in a lot of sense because they are financially invested in, they are financially lucrative, they're marketed as racial feel-good movies. And honestly, we have not done a work, work enough as a country to feel good about race. I'm, just, I'm sorry, we just, like, we, we truly have not. But I think that those movies despise me, I despise and it often shocks me just how common and prevalent they are
0: I'm gonna they're everywhere I did not realize how awful from your perspective the help was until somebody said that and I was like oh god why did why did I enjoy that and I like I sat with that for a while because to your point things can be bad for a multitude of reasons like one of my favorite movies is i'm gonna get you Sucker." terrible movie but, <laughs> you know or like low down dirty shame terrible movie but am i gonna watch it every chance i get yeah like and so from that perspective i started looking at game of thrones differently and i started wondering like is that why they destroyed Daenerys' character in the end because she was a white savior for the only brown people in the movie. And it mm. started, that started like, once I saw things through that lens of like, this is white savior shit, this is white savior shit. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing it. I get it. Like yeah. it's some shit that like, I'm never gonna watch another magical Negro. Three yeah. like, Mile, never need to see that again. Never need to, why, yeah. Yeah, I,
1: and I think for me too. I also like want to be clear because, like you said, I'm not trying to stop a bag or, b- or burn a bridge. No, but if but it's also, I think some of the reasons why those movies are compelling is that the actors, especially the black actors and performers who are in those roles, do breathe life into them. Yeah, they are. They take words on the page that really aren't don't have much substance there and breathe life into them. And so even in a movie like, the Help. My favorite scenes are Viola talking to Octavia. Those two characters, at that moment that you're watching them on screen, it becomes a different movie.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: at some level, I don't, I don't fault people for taking those roles because those roles are available.
0: But has, has since said but she, she, that regrets.
1: She, she regrets it. But, I, but I, where I lay most of the blame is at an industry that is not interested Telling. And telling, and I and I just think that those those movies serve a, a particular function, and they seem to emerge whenever there is black civil unrest. That we have these movies around, like black people who will endure oppression, often at work, in silence, stoically, and heroically, and in the end, all that's needed to like resolve it is that the white per- person be a little bit nicer.
2: Yeah, you
1: don't undo the dynamic, you don't undo the system. You just have, all it takes is for, if, some, if we could just kind of look past it and hug each other, then we'll, be re, then we'll be resolved. And that narrative tires me to no end.
0: I'm gonna tell you what I, I once went to, I will not name any names because I'm not gonna burn our bridges in, in, in my side industry either. I was covering an event with three black pioneers in fashion. One's, one was an editor, you can guess who that is. One was a uh, model. Um, like from Battle of Versailles, like old school black model. And one was a deeply unpleasant black fashion designer, like pioneer black fashion designer. And the way that they talked about race was exactly like that. Mm. I just don't, you know, that just wasn't my experience. And I was always treated nicely and I did it at that. And I'm like, I wonder, did you juxtapose your treatment with the treatment of the other black models or were you comparing it to the treatment of the white models because i assure you you were not treated like the white models you were not treated like the, the white editors you were not treated like the white designers and i think generationally some of those people out of survival accepted what you're talking about that bare minimum of nothing has changed the exceptionalism of it the, you know, that, oh, not all white people. And, oh, it wasn't like that. And, you know, everybody, I just think the, the most frustrating, I just think everyone, all we need is love and we all just need more love. And I was just like, where am I? Yeah. What is this? It felt like I was inside of one of those movies. And I was just like, this is not what, I was expecting for them to like recount their trauma, but I was floored at their perception of their experience and I, but have not been able to look at anything the same. Anything right. the same. yeah. Well,
1: and I think we talked about this, like being Southerners, um, f- cousin. Um, one of the realities of, I think, being from the South is having been shaped in a culture that is often really invested in external niceties while like sinister behavior and politics are under the surface. And so I think that that part of why it probably sharpens like your analysis of something like that is, it is not unfamiliar to have to encounter people who will, yes sir, yes ma'am, make you some biscuits and some sweet tea, um, call you honey, sweetie baby, all this other stuff and go in the voting booth and and disenfranchise your rights every time they get a chance. Yeah. And so I and so often, like I was treated nicely, is woefully insufficient to tell the few, full picture of like what the system is that's making that yes. like that I'm less invested. I would much rather deal with people who aren't nice but are fair.
0: Right, because there isn't a lot of pragmatism involved in 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 hate and in race, like you can't actually do all this hateful shit that you want to do so it would make more sense if you could just kind of you know what I mean like the the practicality and the the rational side of your brain still should push you further to the center than all the way where you want to be like what like the third Reich or something like it's just not practical you don't get to do that you don't get to do that you do it in you know we obviously see that it happens but you're not really about to get what you think you're about to get it ain't right. going to be what you think it's going to give. So you may as well just come a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. need for you to invite me into your home. I'm not going to try to marry your son unless he real fine. In which case, y'all can disinherit him and we'll still find a way <laughs> to work. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to be, I don't need to be with you. I'm not trying to be in your world. I like my world. I like where I am in my life. Just leave me alone. I'm not trying to bring you in. I don't even need you to just leave me alone. That's what I... that That's my thing. Just mind your business. <laughs> and stop and trying I to stab totally de- de- black people' business. Okay. We have talked for 16 years. I adore you. I'm ready for you to come to New York so that we can have a, um, a kiki over drinks that yes. somebody will pay for. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm tired of spending my own money. Um, the Same. pandemic had me spending money like I was a drug dealer. I, I don't know what's happening in my mind. But... Tell the people where they can find you. I know that you have what like, NDAs and things and e- anything that you can plug, you're welcome to. Brag on yourself, brag on yourself. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, um, and Twitter at Ryan underscore Ken underscore Axe. I am currently working on, diligently on a television pilot and I got to get in the Google Doc later today to make some edits and revisions. But I'm... I'm excited to share, when the time is right, some of the bigger projects, more expansive projects, where what we got, a lot of what we got to talk about today is told through characters, and I think interesting characters, funny characters, and um, characters that I think people will want to spend time with.
0: Well, if you have anything to do with it, I want to spend time with them, because I just want to spend time with you. I want to, like, <laughs> put... Like, I'm happy to have you in my phone, <laughs> like, all the time. Yes. <laughs> carry this person around thank you so much like this means the world you have no idea just I was like I need to put more into the podcast what can I do and I'm like I love this person let me do this person on here so this means so much especially before a holiday and you got to go prep to cook and I ain't got to do that shit so <laughs> take care of yourself you are welcome back anytime I just want to amplify and support keep me posted we love you we support you all that you. stuff
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your really thoughtful questions. Like it's got my gears turning for questions I'm going to ask myself. And I not hyperbolically, I think conversations like this actually improve what I have to offer to the world. So I'm really, really grateful to get a chance to talk with you.
0: Yay, mutually beneficial. (laughs) Yes. Okay, bye.
2: Thank you.